Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Hey, thank you. <laughs> oh, Let's hear from moms, am I right? Thanks for what you do. Love you, Mom. I, um, say, um, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Galatians. We're starting out chapter 5. This is Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. New King James Version. For brethren, have you been called to liberty? Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Can we stand and pray? Father, I thank you for this day. I pray that each of us resist the controlling influence of sin and use our freedom in you to serve and build one another up. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise you, Lord. Father God, we praise you this morning. You are so worthy. You took the beating for us. You went to the cross for us. Lord, you became sin when you know sin. For all redemption, for all salvation, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, thank you that we get to spend all eternity with you. It was always your will to be with us. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning and welcome to River Valley Christian Church, Lake Elmo. If you are new here, um, I am not Pastor John, <laughs> but I'll try to be this morning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Pastor John is out of town and uh, asked me to speak this morning, so. First of all, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. If you're a mother, why don't you stand up real quick and as we can uh, just appreciate you guys and give you a big round of applause. That's it. Also, um, another thing I wanted to announce real quick. Uh, we had a Karis Bible College graduation here yesterday. Uh, so we had two people from our uh, uh, churches graduate, um, Ariel and Jared, which I don't think any of them are here, but uh, if you guys can hear me, Ariel and Jared, why don't, you, why don't we give them a big round of applause as well? It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So great job completing two years of CARES Bible College. All right, so this morning, um, I am going to do something, I guess, unique in a sense of, um, Pastor John has been talking about faith. Uh, he has been doing a series on faith, and believe it or not, I'm actually gonna attempt to continue his series, whether he wants it or not. <laughs> But also, at the end, I'm going to do something a little different, and I'm going to share a testimony that hopefully it's going to be related to everything that I talk about that's specifically related to Mother's Day. Amen? All right, so let's start with a quick story here that I have for you. A little history lesson. <clears throat> In July 1961, Vince Lombardi kicked off the first day of training camp for the, for the 38th players on Green Bay Packers football team. The prior season has ended in a heartbreaking loss to the Philadelphia Eagles after blowing a lead in the fourth quarter of the NFL championship game. When the players came into the start, uh, to came in to start the training camp, they expected immediately to begin where they left off and work on ways to advance their game and learn fancy new ways to win the championship in the new season. 
When they sat down and began, Vince Lombardi held up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. He then had everyone open up their playbooks and start on page one, where they began to learn the fundamentals of blocking, tackling, throwing, and catching. That was clearly not what they expected uh, as players who were at the top of their game. This hyper-focus on fundament fundamentals allowed them to win the NFL championship that season, 37-0 against the New York Giants. Vince Lombardi went on to win five NFL championships in seven years. He never coached a team with a losing season after that and never lost a playoff game again. If focusing on fundamentals can elevate a great team to such heights, imagine what it can do in your spiritual life. Amen? Amen. I shared that story with you, um, not because I'm a Packer fan, uh, <laughs> but really the reason is, you know, Pastor John has been talking about faith. And I don't know if, if you... Uh, feel this way sometimes. I personally do. And sometimes when the subject or topic of faith comes up, I think of it as such a hard topic to uh, grasp or to get a hold of. I don't know if the reason being is because, you know, I'm a, I'm a paid overeducated Christian who, uh, who went to Bible college and learned all these concepts and read all these books. And, and of course, we heard of the faith movement and the faith revival and, and uh, all these definitions of faith and how you get to draw on the power of God and how, you know, if you don't see something manifest in your life, then maybe you're not in faith or you're not confessing the right thing or all these different things, which none of those may be bad teachings. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But really, my point is that the fundamentals of faith is trusting God. And that's really what has been Pastor John's main point, that basically, in, in essence, you can take the word faith and put an equal sign and say, trust God. And it's, it's as, as simple and as basic as that, okay? So today, uh, okay, well, before I even move forward, let me just say this couple points, so hopefully you can relate. I, so then I started to question my own life, like if faith was that simple, right, in, in, as far as definition goes, then why, why do Christians, especially including myself, don't, uh, don't see the manifestation of faith more? Why don't we walk in that more? And just a couple reasons that as I was meditating on this that I came up with, uh, was, was number one, I just think we're too self-sufficient or efficient. Self-efficient. Sufficient? Sufficient. Somebody help me. Sufficient. Sufficient. Thank you. This is not my first language. It's your first language. So you should help me. Okay? <laughs> so we're too self-sufficient. And, and you know what? Um, this is the, I, I was meditating on this, and this is nothing, no slam against Americans. Actually, that is something I really appreciated about the American culture is that, you know, you guys back in the days came over from Europe as the pilgrims and it was you either you figured it out or you died. Right. And, 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 and that, that's basically what this nation was built on is that we got to figure this out, otherwise we're going to perish. It's not a bad thing to, be, to figure it out. However, you know, taking that a step further, like... Um, translate that into our spiritual life, we cannot be self-sufficient. Yeah. We gotta depend on God, amen? Yeah. I even noticed this little sidetrack here in the American culture when I went to college, is that many, uh, many parents, they kick out their kids from their house when they're 18 years old, saying like, you're on your own, F figure it out. And in Eastern Europe, it's, it's a different culture, and I'm not saying it's better, but in Eastern Europe, it's more like generations live in the same household. And in Italy, for example, I think uh, a, a bachelor guy doesn't leave the mother's house until they get married. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that's, that's the way it should be. Uh, I'm just saying there's a culture here that is training us to be self-sufficient. And that is not a bad thing in itself, However, when it comes 
to spiritual things and most things in life, you know, you cannot depend on your own strength. You cannot be, have that mentality of, I'll just figure it out. Otherwise, you lose focus of trusting God. So that's, that, that was one of the reasons I thought of. Um, another reason I thought of, you know, we never learned how to trust God in, in many areas. You know, we talk about uh, offerings, and uh, we have awesome offering messages, but uh, really what I came to realize in my life is that offering is just an opportunity to trust God. So it's really an opportunity for you. It doesn't hurt God if you don't give. Uh, but it hurts you because you're not practicing trust. And maybe you guys have heard the term of, of um, you know, God is, is testing you. You know, and I, I don't really agree with that terminology. Uh, what I think is the world and your circumstances and this fallen world is testing you. And you have a choice to trust God or not. Amen. So that, that's another reason. And then, and I also thought of a, a last reason is that, you know, many times, again, we get away from the basics, kind of like I started out, and we forget the most basic doctrine of the New Testament, which is Jesus came and called God the Father. You know, if you just think about that one statement, I mean, that was one of the statements they wanted to stone him to death for, right? How dare you to call him Father? And again, I understand we're all Christians here and we say, oh, Heavenly Father. But really, I catch myself that there's this distance in my mind, even when I pray like that, like, oh, Heavenly Father, you know, so, you're so great and you're so far away. And the, the point of Jesus coming and saying, no, guys, he's your Father, is like, he's your Father who you can trust. You know, I know some of you maybe didn't have a good earthly father, but, but I, just, I just know I never had to beg my father for anything, you know? I, um, I, I also think of, um, you know, as, as, as a kid growing up, like, like how worried was I to pay the bills for, for a utility bill? I didn't even know what a utility me- meant, you know, until I moved out or a mortgage, or, or, a, or a car payment, or a car, uh, you know, your car broke down. Like, you know, as, as a child, you know, as a child of the Most High God, or Father, like, like, as a child, I never worried about those things, you know? And then you may say, well, of course, Peter, you were a kid, you know? Like, that's why parents are there for, to worry about mortgage, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. And okay, if going along with that analogy, well, then that's what he's there for us as a father, amen? I mean, that's what the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So those are just a few things I thought of as as we're just starting out here this morning that, you know, we cannot miss the, if we got to get our minds back on the basics, and that is trusting God. Faith means trust God, amen? So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I had a dear friend of mine, a good mentor, and he said, Peter, when I first started out speaking, (laughs) if for those of you have ever spoke at a church before, it's, um, um, especially when you first speak at a church before, it's like, you think this is your only shot, (laughs) and you want to say as much as you can, and you're just all over the place. And and, uh, this good mentor of mine said, Peter, you pick one point, and you just hammered that the whole time, okay? And it was a, it was a really good advice, and that's, that's actually really what I, I'm going to do this morning, is just hammer this one point for you. Trust God, amen? Yes. Proverbs 9, uh, 10. So what does it mean to trust God? Proverbs 9, 10, a well-known scripture. If I have the, well, good scripture reference. Yes, I do. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what does it mean to trust God? You know what it means? It really means you fear God above all other fears in your life. Amen? Like, let me just say that again. You fear God above all other fears. You know, that, that concept of fear of the Lord has been, you know, sometimes like, what do you mean fear? I thought God was love, right? Like, I thought he was, what do you mean you fear God? Well, it means 
you fear him more than you fear your worries and your mortgage payment and whatever is about to come up. Let me give you a give, give quick example. I, I heard this story from Andrew Womack. Uh, he said he, um, when I think he was when in younger in ministry or maybe in like college ministry, they went over to a friend's place uh, to stay over that, uh, that place. But he said that that house was known that it had a haunted like room where either somebody was murdered in that room or somebody passed away in that room. But they said, this is no joke. You, s- you sleep in that room, you're not going to sleep in that room, really. It's, it's, there are noises in there in the middle of the night, scratching noises, some cream, screaming noises. Um, it's a haunted room in the house. So, you know, Andrew said, he's, I'm, like, I'm, I'm the faith preacher, I'm the, I'm the Christian here, like, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm, and I'm going to get that demon out of that room and, and I'm going to clear that house, right? So they went over, everybody goes to bed, uh, he goes to that room, he's like, I'm sleeping in that room, right? So he goes into that room and he said, um, you know, he has a hard time falling asleep, he already started to hear some noises, so he's like, oh, Lord, I'm not even going to open my eyes, I'm just going to shut my eyes, and I'm going to be praying here, and he starts praying, and he starts sweating, and he's, he's, he starts hearing noises, and he's praying even more, and then he's like, he, he says he catches himself that he's praying, that he's like, he's, these words are coming out of his mouth, that Lord, I'm just, I'm just, thank you, you know, that that I don't even get to see the spiritual world because I know if I would, you know, there are probably claws around me right now and there's some sort of a demonic figure around me and like, I'm just thankful that I can't, I can't see it with my physical eyes because I can hear it around me. And it says, when he said that, that he heard the Holy Spirit uh, speak to his heart right away and, and the Holy Spirit says, son, you got this whole thing backwards. <laughs> It's like those things that you're hearing, they're about this big in size. They're like ants crawling on the floor. And it says when he heard that, I mean, he, he just felt this peace come over him. He didn't say another prayer. When his mentality changed, all the noises stopped. And he said he had the best sleep of his night. And nobody ever had another noise or experience in that bedroom. Amen? So... That's really what I'm talking about. It's like when you fear God, you really put things into the right perspective. I mean, he is above it all. I mean, all those other things is really nothing to him. So that is, I think we'd say, a proper, healthy fear of God. Amen? So here's, um, here's how I would define, uh, you know how we talk about the faith scripture from Hebrews. Uh, but you know, if I were to look up a faith scripture from the Old Testament. To me, this is the definition of, of faith from the Old Testament. Proverbs 3 and 5. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust, and I think this is from the Amplified Version, purposely, just to amplify it for you a little bit. Trust and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own insight or understanding in all your ways Know and acknowledge and recognize him, and he will make your path straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. Amen? So, trusting God. Trusting God means walking in humility. I've been meditating also on this on a while, and you uh, may not think this is related, but it's very related. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something, a little definition of humility. When we talk about being humble and walking in humility, and we all know the scripture that says, you know, Jesus said, take my yoke upon me uh, or upon you and learn from me that I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. We know that Jesus walked in humility, but really what does that mean like practically? You know, when you think of humility, the word's definition of humility is some sort of a low self-esteem, right? Like, like, you, you, like you look at yourself as something that's below everyone else. That's, you know, you look at yourself as, as um, like a doormat or something like that. Like, oh, I'm just so humble. And I'm serious, like I Googled humility and those are kind of like basically the definition that came up. But that's not the biblical definition of humility. 
I will tell you what the biblical definition is. I have a, a book that I read uh, called Humility by Andrew Murray. And I took, I took some paraphrasing out, but I thought he did a really good job of defining what humility is. Sorry, this is going to be a little long, but just bear with me. So the definition of humility. When God created the universe, it was with one object of making the creation, you and I, to partake of his perfection and blessedness and, and showing forth in the glory of his love and wisdom, his love, his wisdom and power. God wished to reveal himself in and through created beings by communicating to them as much of his goodness and glory as they are capable of receiving. The creation has not only to look back to the origin and the first beginning of existence and acknowledge that it there owes everything to God, its chief care, its highest virtue, its only happiness, now and through all and all eternity, is to present itself an empty vessel in which God can dwell and manifest his power and goodness. Listen to this. Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things, the first duty and highest virtue of the creation and the root of every virtue. Jesus' humility gave his death value and so became our redemption. Jesus Christ took the place and fulfilled the destiny of man and as a creation by his life and perfect humility. His humility is our salvation. His salvation is our humility. Humility is not as much a grace, not as much a grace or a virtue along with others. It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him, God, to be all in your life. Amen? You know, I mean, Think, think, about, think about just that statement, you know, or just Jesus' ministry. We know that Jesus walked in perfect faith, right? But now listen to this. Did you know that Jesus walked in perfect humility? I mean, think about it that the God who created the universe became a creation. Like man, he became man, Right? And then took our place with perfect humility. He could have came down and done anything, but he decided to take our place, die for us, and therefore fulfill all righteousness, all law, and bring us back to the Father. His whole, Jesus' whole ministry is based on humility. Joe, you can throw up these scripture. I'm just going to flash through some of these scriptures. Jesus said all this. I'm in the midst of you as one who serves. Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Son can do nothing of himself. Now, listen to the next ones I'm about to read. It's like, this is God speaking, and he chose to say this or do this. It says, the Son can do nothing of himself. I can, of my own self, do nothing. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will. I receive not the glory from men. I am come not to do my own will. My teaching is not mine. I am not come of myself. I do nothing of myself. I have not come of myself, but he sent me. I seek not my own glory. The words that I speak to you, I speak not myself. The word which you hear is not mine. Jesus said all, Jesus who is God said all this, walked in perfect humility, showed us what humility means. Really, it means Trusting God. Trusting God, relying on, on God. Okay, listen to this. There are two times in the Bible where Jesus calls out two people for their great faith. There's only two times in the Bible where he says, great is your faith. Does anybody know where those two times are? Centurion. The centurion is one. That was the easy one, yes. That is totally correct. How about the second one? No, not the woman with the issue of blood. Yes. Somebody said it back there. Probably my wife, because she saw my sermon notes. <laughs> 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 
it was the Canaanite woman. It was the Canaanite woman, actually. Now, actually, you guys are mostly familiar with the centurion story. Uh, and I'm not gonna, that's in Matthew 8 and 5. You can look it up. But actually, let's look at the second one uh, in the Canaanite woman. That's in Matthew 15. Now, I'm gonna actually read this for you. Matthew 15, uh, Matthew 15, verse 28. No, not 28, 21. I'm gonna, Matthew 15, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is, is demon-possessed. But he did not answer her word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she, she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered her and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed immediately at once. You know, there's so many things I don't understand about this uh, scripture. Let me just, and there's so many other things that I do understand. Like for instance, <laughs> the things that I do understand, I do see this manifest every time we sit down to eat a meal. And I have my daughter who sits down at the table and I have our dog who positions himself, you know, <laughs> right next to her and looks up and I look at him and I say go away go to your kennel and he just stares at me and I can read the scriptures from my dog's eyes saying Peter even the dogs you know get some crumbs from the table I literally see that scripture manifest every day uh, at every meal that we sit down for so that 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 part I, I get that I, I, it's awesome that Jesus spoke parables and things that apply that you can totally relate to and see today. I mean, they're really the word of God is stands time. Amen. But what I, I don't, this is so interesting to me, is here's Jesus goes into this region, right? Like it says, he purposely left whatever, wherever he was, probably the heavily Jewish area, and went out to this other region. And then and then it's like he's waiting for an appointment or whatever. I'm not going to read too much to it. And here comes this Canaanite uh, woman. And then Jesus says, you know, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And then, and then even that statement, like, is that true? Like, why does Jesus say that? Like, yes, I get it. it, it you know, it's somewhat true, but no, it's not. Like, he ministered to the Samaritan woman. He, he ministered to the centurion we know that he came not just for the Jewish people, but came all for us, right? So why does he even say, why does he even say that statement? I don't know. And then, well, I'll take it a step further. Imagine we're going to have a prayer line here after service. And then you come up for prayer to me, and I tell you, you're a dog. Get out of here. You know, like, like, I mean, it's, I would say it's one of the most offensive things that you can say in any period, but I've never even seen Jesus say, I think, something that offensive. But for whatever reason, like, he, he says it, okay? So those are some of the things I don't understand why. What I do understand, however, is her reaction. And what is her reaction is really just saying, I'm not getting offended, one. <laughs> I'm not walking away. You probably would have. If I said that here at the prayer line, I guarantee you wouldn't come back next Sunday. <laughs> she doesn't do that. She doesn't get offended, but she just says, you know, I, I know who you are. And see, here's, here's what I was meditating on. Like, both this story and the centurion story, there's something very interesting in them. And you know what it is? 
that, that the person they're getting, asking prayer for is not there. It's actually another person, right? In this case, it's a daughter with a centurion. It was a slave or the centurion slave that they, that they came to get prayer for. And Jesus is not there um, to lay hands on that person in both of these instances. And what does, what does she do? I also know this, that she, she probably, probably my, it's my conviction that she knows that this is the Son of God. She doesn't think that this is just a prophet from, who, from Israel who has this great healing ministry. Like she knows that this guy is the real deal, right? And, and then, so she, she says, no, like doesn't matter the circumstance, doesn't matter the offense, doesn't matter, you know, what the disciples are saying, get out of here, woman. She just said, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And like, that's what she keeps doing. That's the end of the story. And then, and then Jesus says, great is your faith. And instantly that daughter is healed. Amen. That's, that's humility. That's walking and depending on God in, in fully relying on God, no matter the circumstances. Amen. Our trusting God means applying his ability to your situation. You know, I'm going to, let's see if I can find a scripture for you. Exodus. I think, no, Numbers. That's it. Numbers 11. I'm going to show you a bad example. (laughs) Listen to this. This is Moses complaining to the Lord, which he had a hard task. But listen to this set of scripture from Numbers 11, uh, starting from verse 10. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families or complaining. Really what it was, it was, this was, this is like one of those times when the, really the, the people are starting to complain, like, right? Like we got nothing to eat, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's it's like the same old story. (laughs) Just like you and I, right? (laughs) We got the mortgage payment. We got the car broke down. How am I going to pay? Blah, blah, blah. Complain, complain. And this is, this is what happens here. Now Moses heard the people uh, complaining throughout their families, each man at their doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was also displeased. But now listen to how Moses responds. Again, this is a bad example. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Was it I who conceived all these people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to them, carry them in your bosom and nurse as, as, a, as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all these people, because it's too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. Listen, did you hear the I statements in, in that? You know, it's so interesting because everything that Moses said there, God said none of that. Like, he did not say, you're supposed to do all this, right? Really, what trusting God is, is responsibility. But what kind of responsibility? And you know what my definition of responsibility is? Responding to his ability. That's what true responsibility is. Responding to his ability, not your ability. And that's what Moses missed there. It's about him. It's not about you. He never asked all those things from Moses. Moses took those upon himself. So my question to you is how often you and I do the same thing when something comes up in our own life, when we take the responsibility on us, that we got to figure this out versus trusting God. Amen? Now, listen to this. Couple more, and then I'll wrap it up. Trusting God sometimes may feel like death. 
flip over to Exodus 4. Exodus 4, I think verse 1. Then Moses, this is, this is the story of the, you guys know the story of the burning bush. Uh, Moses having the initial conversation with God about his calling to lead the people out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 4 verse 1 says, Then Moses said to God, What if the people will not believe or listen to what I have to say? For they may say to me, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, It's a staff. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And then Moses got scared and fled from it. But the Lord said to him, Stretch out your hand, grasp it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. He said that, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. You know, I was meditating on this scripture. It's a very interesting scripture, but I actually think we often overlook this, but there's more significance and symbolism to that set of scripture than we think. It's not just, look at me, here's a cool sign for you. I'll throw my staff on the ground and it becomes a snake and I'll pick it up and it's a staff again, like a magic trick. Uh, I don't think so. I think there's more to it and this is what I believe that's happening here. If you think about the staff in Moses' hand, what did it represent? His previous life. He was a shepherd. A staff was his job. Description was on there. I think back in the days, they even like wrote like stories on there. You know, like they probably recorded memories on there. Like, you know, today it was kind of like a journal. You know, like they would carve things out. But they also used it as a weapon to protect the animals. I mean, it was the shepherding staff. It, it's, it's, it represents... Moses' whole life before the calling, while he's in the, in, the, in the desert, right? Like shepherding the sheep. Like this is your life, your calling. And God says, throw that on the ground in front of me. And he does it, and it becomes a snake. And if you think about a snake, it's a representation of death, ultimately. Snake is death. And, and what the, you know, Moses reacts and is like, I'm out of here. Like this is not cool. And, and think about that, like, it's his staff. It's his whole life. And all of a sudden, now it looks like death right in front of him. But what does God say? Grab it by the tail end, which he does, and he picks it up and it becomes a staff again. I really think the symbolism in it is that God is saying, lay down your life in front of me as you know it. It may look like death at first. You're like, I got to give that up? That's what I'm used to. That's what I'm the best at. Grab it by the tail end, and I will use it. And boy, he used it. I mean, think about the staff what, that departed the sea. What the, the symbolism, the type and shadow, the staff that was lifted up the way Christ was lifted up. The staff that split the rock and, and gave, uh, provided for them water and supplies. That representation of you trusting God with your life, you know, you're laying it down, young people especially, it may look like death at first. You know, we say these stories when God tells you go to Africa, and it's like, okay, no, let me back up. When God tells you go into youth ministry, it may seem like death, you know. But it's not. I mean, look at the life and the fruit and the, and the blessing, you know. It's just at first, but when you trust God... I mean, he turns it all around, amen, and uses it for good. And then last but not least, trusting God means, sometimes means be still and be silent and do nothing and trust God. Do nothing and just trust God, amen? You know, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do in our lives, especially when you're facing a great danger, a sickness, or a disease, or some financial crisis, is to be still. How many of you guys have you seen the movie Jurassic Park? And I'm talking about the original one, not the new, the crap new one that came out for this <laughs> new generation that is just like, you guys ruined my childhood. Jurassic, Jurassic Park. 
as it was made by Steven Spielberg was the best movie. Anyways, there's a scene there with the T-Rex that you see, and, and you know there's, one, there's like one def defense against the T-Rex that you can't do, and, and you guys remember what that was? Be still, don't move, don't move. Right? And there's this huge reptile with teeth as big as my forearm right in front of you, and you're telling me the only thing I need to do is not to move a muscle. And that's obviously in the movie, but you know, in real life, many times what I, I feel like the Lord speaks to me is like, be still. Just be still and know that I am God. And that is sometimes the hardest thing to do in a Christian walk. You know, I, I want to I wanna confess something, right? Like, and I'm not saying that's bad either, but I'm like, it's, it's almost like my religion, my performance is like, I need to do something. I got to confess something or I got to confess some, there's some sin in my life, you know. And many times the Lord is just saying, be still and trust that I am God. Trust that I can handle it. Amen? Amen. Okay, so here at, at the end, I told you that I'm going to do something a little different, but also... Before I do that, I just want to give you a quick homework, okay? Because I know, I know lots of you here. And I know that you are loaded with stories of trusting God and seeing God come through. And I know there are some people here who needs to hear those stories. So at the end, when we have fellowship uh, and mingling, I want to just ask you to pray about, and I think the Holy Spirit will remind you of a story that you may need to share someone here at the end. Like, remember that time when God came through when we thought we were screwed, and then all we had to do was just be still, and then he came through? I want you to go and share a story like that, maybe with someone you don't know, because they need to hear it, and ask the Holy Spirit who that person is. Amen? Okay, so last, but in, here in this last 10 minutes, or five, depending on how fast I talk. I want to finish it up with talking about uh, a testimony. And it's a testimony about my mom. And I've never really shared this testimony um, in light of the way I'm going to share it today. But it really is just, I think it's a good example for everything that I shared about trusting God. But before I do... I want to read a scripture from Luke, Luke chapter 1, and this is the story of Mary, okay? And it's, it's a scripture, it's interesting, because many times I feel like maybe this is just me, but we overlook uh, Mary and Mary's faith. The reason I overlook it is because I, before I was saved in Eastern Europe, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and unfortunately, Back there in Eastern Europe, the Eastern religion, the Catholic Church has really abused the figure of Mary to the point where I remember growing up that we had to go and kneel before the Mary statue and say, I don't know how many Hail Marys for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, I heard it, 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 and that's bad doctrine. That's not biblical. I'm sorry if that offends you, but read your Bible. That's not biblical. Jesus is the only way. He is the only intermediator between man and God. Um, and there were other things, uh, whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to get into details, but I just feel like because of that, I never really like meditate much on Mary and her faith and her trust in God. And I just want to point out a thing, a thing or two here for you. This is from Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not Christmas time, so that's the other thing. We only read the scriptures around Christmas. But, but, but read this in light of everything that we've been talking about. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now, in the six months, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of a uh, greeting this was. And the angel said to her, 
Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, I mean, those are some serious statements. I mean, imagine you hearing those statements. Well, how would you react? And But Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that, re- for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who also has conceived the son in her old age and, sh- and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, and this is the statement, Behold, the bound servant or bound slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel has departed from her. You know, when we talk about the hall of faith, uh, instead of hall of fame, the hall of faith, uh, with all the great faith guys, Abraham, Moses, you know, Jacob, these guys. <laughs> and you think, I think about it. I was just thinking about this last night. And I'm not minimizing that. But they had lots and lots of issues too. Like Moses killed a guy. You know, Abraham lied about his wife. Jacob was a liar. You know, David was an adulteress. Did all. And here's the, the, the faith figures. And many times the women of the Bible, I feel like they're very overlooked. Uh, however, like I'll point it out here for you, like Mary, what does she do? She just says, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. To the point, if you read the other account, I think it's in uh, Matthew, it said that Joseph, she didn't even tell Joseph. <laughs> like, she didn't even tell her whole husband, and they got to the point where Joseph was gonna give her the the boot, right? Like, you're you, you're disgraced. You had a child outside of this marriage, and it says Joseph was in Matthew. It says Joseph was a righteous man, and wanted to let Mary go quietly and not disgrace her. Probably could have stoned her. I think according to the law, probably could have stoned her to death publicly. Um, and when Joseph got to that point. That's when the angel appears to Joseph and said, don't do that. You know, Mary is in the clear. <laughs> Mary is, is walking in faith and it's, it's, it's God. It's God's doing, right? But how powerful that is. Like, all she does is just like, God, I trust you to the point of death or whatever. Like, I just trust you. Actually, two things. Like, how crazy is that, that God says to Mary, I trust you to, to raise this child who is like our only hope or salvation, right? I mean, if you have a toddler, which I do now, it's like everything out there is about to kill them. Like, that's like to the last piece of blueberry, right, that wants to choke them to death or, or whatever. Like, everything in this world is out to kill them. And God says, I trust you. Mary, that you will raise this child. And then Mary says, you know, I trust you, God. And just walks, I mean, for, you know, as long as Jesus is raised, it's just complete faith and trust that God will do what what he said he will do. Amen? So I want to share this quick testimony about my mom. Uh, You can throw up the picture. for those, some of you have met her because this picture was actually taken outside here in front of the church when we got married. But my mom is the lady on the right. Um, this picture doesn't even really represent well uh, how small she is. Like she is really like basically half, I think she's a little closer to the camera, but she's kind of half of my size. And I have three brothers who are 6'4", I'm 6'4", and then 6'1". 
some big boys, four, four brothers, okay? And here you got this small lady, this tiny little lady who raised us all, okay? And the first thing I want to just tell you, to, to put it into perspective, even before she was a Christian, like I pointed out earlier, walking in faith, walking in trust means walking in humility. And she uh, went to veterinarian college, uh, veterinarian university in Budapest, and so did my dad, and that's where they met. Uh, and she was at the top of her class, okay? Like, she, she, there was only one, like, full-ride scholarship that they would give out in the whole university, and she got it. And that's, that's how she made it through. Contrast, it was my dad, who, uh, by barely passing through college, uh, you know, made it through by the skin of his teeth <laughs> through uh, the veterinarian school, and they both became veterinarians, and um, they got married uh, at the end of college. And, and my mom got pregnant, you know, basically right away uh, with my oldest brother, Ondor. And uh, my mom, from day one, decided to take her veterinarian degree and hang it on, the, that she worked so hard for, hang it on a shelf or put it on a bookshelf or on the wall and, and raise us boys because we came, you know, pretty quickly and, and took, took a, a step back. And, you know, quick funny story. <laughs> when I, was, when I, I went to college at University of Wisconsin La Crosse and don't ask me how, I took a women's studies uh, class because, well, just wait. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't by choice. I'm, I'm an Eastern European who just came over. I don't even understand how college courses work. They say you need to take these gen eds, and they signed me up for these women's studies class. So I'm taking these gen eds to qualify on, on my paper. So I'm sitting in this women's studies class, and I'm, I'm a young Christian, by the way, at this point. I don't know much about, I don't even know, like, I, yeah, I just don't know much, really. And what happens is I very quickly I realized that the agenda of this class is basically a, a feminist class in a sense of, of they're saying why women's roles are, are pushed down and how we need to flip that around. So I'm like, okay, I, as, I, 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 following along now, you know, I'm catching up. Uh, but then I decided to write a paper on my mom because they asked you to write a paper on a, on a woman figure that you respect, that you look up to, you know, like, and I write this whole paper and I, what I'm explaining, my point in, in the whole paper is that I think the value of what my mom did for putting herself, her career on the back burner over us is way more valuable than my dad's college career, if that makes sense, and my, and my dad's business and, and all that. And, and, and I thought it was a great paper. The teacher didn't think it was great. <laughs> C- called me out front of class and had me stand up and had me argue like my point and couldn't really, argue. yeah, they didn't really have a point. It's a, it's a testimony, you can't argue with a testimony. I mean, it's like, I testify of this truth, you know, like, what, you can try to reason with me, but you're not, you can't, I mean, this, is the, this is what happened, this is how it is. But anyways, she didn't like it, uh, I, I liked it. Um, I don't know if anybody else in the class liked it, but so my mom always had that about her character that, that, uh, that she would just, she was just, would just trust God. You know, and, and, and yeah, with her career, she puts that on the back burner and trusts that God will take care of us. And God has taken care of us through my dad, who was almost a college dropout. He became very successful in, in uh, veterinary and vaccination science and, and uh, poultry and chicken uh, vaccination specifically. And uh, trusting God. Amen? So, um, but what happens in our story is none of us were raised Christians. We were raised in the Catholic Church because that was the thing to do. That was like the right thing to do in Eastern Europe. And we were raised in the Catholic Church. And as we got older, I was now 18. My, I have two older brothers, a year and a half older and like five years older. And we're all grown-ups now. And our family is literally falling apart in a sense one of my older brother is just totally after the world. 
and, and going to these big uh, festivals and parties and, you know, uh, who knows what happens. I, I, am, I am still kind of attending the Catholic Church because of that religious feeling of I, I'm messing up. I'm doing all the sin in my life, and I feel bad about it, so I go to the Catholic Church, and I do my confession, and I feel better for the next half an hour, and I go and do it again. <laughs> like, that's, that was my lifestyle. Uh, my oldest brother is kind of, he's living in Austria, Vienna at this point, I think. We're uh, all doing our own thing, except my youngest brother, who is on the picture wearing glasses there, he, he was still, he was still, you know, how, how old was he? Probably like 12. So he's still not a grown up. Uh, but the thing with him, for those of you who met him, he had some physical disabilities. Um, not, something that's super evident to the eye, but some joint things that a 12-year-old shouldn't have, some ear things, he couldn't get ear in his water, then everything would like, throw off his balance. He had learning disabilities. He was excused from math and, uh, and German. I'm like, how do you get excused from that? I signed me up. I, I was always kind of jealous that he got excused from certain subjects in high school. But uh, uh, so... So he was just struggling with a lot. And, and my mom, they, this, they tell me later that their marriage is falling apart, like to the point where they have the divorce papers prepared and ready to be signed. And I mean, talking about a desperate situation, my mom is so desperate um, uh, at this point that it's taking my younger brother, like t- tried every, every doctor, but it's taking him to, like, even like to like a witch doctor or like uh, some of these new agey uh, healing methods because she's just like, I'm, I'm so desperate. So we have an aunt in our family who were born again saved, and she started preaching to my mom. And my mom, you know, because there's nothing else to do except trust God. Yeah, if someone brings you good news about trusting God, she's like, yes, I'm in. Uh, gets involved with her, my aunt's church, gets saved. And then gets saved with Domi. Domi is my youngest brother, and brings him to church. And Domi, they pray for Domi for healing, and he starts to do better. It's not an instant healing, but he starts to do do better. Okay, so, but now this is what a point I want to make. Imagine my mom as this lady half of my size, who who has a husband. My dad, who at the point was so far away from God that you brought the Bible in. To the room, he would walk out of the room. Who got, you know, three, four sons who he raised, not in a Christian way per se, and going, doing their way. And, and now she gets saved, but what do you do? <laughs> I mean, what do you do? You trust God. Amen? It's a mother's faith. It's a mother's prayer. Trust God. And this, this is exactly what she does. She doesn't beat me to the head with the Bible. She can't. She's half of my size again. You know, she can't even reach my head if I lean back. You know, she, she can't do even less for my dad. Who, For those of you who have met my dad, my dad has a really strong will. <laughs> like, really strong will. Like, hopefully he's not watching right now, but I was... Somebody in my family made this statement. When my dad taught, have a conversation with you, he doesn't have a conversation with you. He makes statements, and you listen. Like, that's, that's the, you know, it's not a back and forth. There's no back and forth. It's just preaching at yours. So what does a lady do? Uh, what does a mother do who's, you know, how, how, how could she? All she does is trust God. Amen? And guess what happens in a year and a half just by trusting God? Just trusting his ability, not her own ability, or whole family gets radically saved. My dad gets saved by a street preacher from America who was evangelizing and laid hands on him and gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we see the change in our dad as boys. And I like, I can't put the two and two together. This is nuts. I don't know what's going on at that church, but I see the change in his life. And so I started attending church there, feel super uncomfortable, but end up being saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of us are out and serving God, and my dad is pastoring a church in our hometown. All of that is because a mother trusting God. Amen? Trusting his ability. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we just thank you that you are so trustworthy. You are worthy and you're so trustworthy that we can trust in you. Holy Spirit, would you just remind us, especially in the tight spots, in the tough spots, when, when, when life throws things at us, that, that all we got to do is be still and know that he is God, that you are God, that you are God, that you are above it all, that you take us above the storm, that we can walk over the storm by your ability. In Jesus' name, amen.